The pursuit of joy is a universal human endeavor. All of us want a life of happiness and contentment, but the circumstances of life seem to undermine that pursuit at every turn. Philippians is a letter written by a man named Paul from a jail cell in Rome, and though his circumstances are grim, he writes of a joy found not in our where we are, but rather in who we are and who we know. For in Jesus, there is always reason to rejoice. Uh, well, along with Dean, I want to welcome you here. My name's Matt, uh, pastor here of Tri-City, and we are very near the end of the book of Philippians. We've been preaching through Philippians uh, since, since we began, and we find ourselves, uh, let's see, chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. If you have a Bible, now's a great time to take it out. It's always good to have God's Word uh, in front of you. If ever you forget your Bible or don't have one, uh, there are some on the tables as you come in. Um, This is our second to last sermon in this book, and um, this is really a letter, actually, written by Paul to the Philippian church, and that means that he's kind of wrapping up his his letter. Uh, He's talking about some topics that are of uh, utmost importance, and we're going to see today, he's kind of getting to the occasion of why he wrote this, this letter. It's really a thank you letter. Um, Last week, we talked about uh, the issue of peace how to have peace of mind, because that was, that was what the text, verses 8 and 9. Uh, today we find ourselves on kind of a, a related topic, another common pursuit of modern living, and that is contentment, uh, what it means to be content, uh, how we can find it, how we can hold on to it. Uh, with peace, we said that uh, peace of mind is really a sense of uh, kind of being settled with your life a lack of anxiety, uh, just being settled at peace with the way things are in your life and the circumstances around you. Uh, contentment is, is more of a sense of fulfillment in life, a sense of satisfaction. As you think of uh, the circumstances of your life and kind of the world around you, you have a, a sense of contentment. You're happy about the way things are. Uh, now, I think it's fair to say that human beings have always struggled with contentment. I can say that because the very first human beings... Uh, did not stay content. They had a perfect garden. They had a perfect relationship, a perfect future. And yet they thought, "Eh, I think I want a little bit more. I think I want to see what that fruit tastes like. And so Adam and Eve, despite having, you know, on paper, the recipe for perfect contentment, they, they were not. They did not stay content. And the same is true for us today. Despite having universal healthcare, a universal education, a democratic form of government. We have phones that talk to us. We have cars that almost drive themselves. And yet, I think we'd be hard-pressed to say that, you know, as a culture, we are generally content. Even as individuals, that we are, you know, content most of the time. Now, you might push back on me a bit and say, Matt, we, we do have a lot of good things. We have universal health care, but, but I know some people have been waiting a long time for surgery. Uh, we do have universal education, but I know some other people, they, they've been struggling to find work. And we do have a democratic form of government, but that doesn't mean that the people in charge are always full of integrity or even common sense. And so there's, there's reason sometimes to be frustrated, to not be content. We have phones that talk to us, sure, but Matt, I don't have the best phone. My phone, I have to push a button. But there's another phone that it just if I look at it, it all of a sudden springs to life. That's the one I want. If I get that one, I'll be, I'll be content. So... I think it's fair to say that uh, there have always been a combination of good and probably not so good reasons for us to be content with life, which makes what Paul says in our text today all the more uh, astounding. Because what Paul says is he has learned in whatever circumstance of his life to be content. I mean, just think about that. 
Imagine waking up in the morning, going to bed at night, and, and you were just always satisfied with your life. Regardless of, of health, regardless of finances, regardless of, of who is in authority over you, you, you have genuine contentment. I mean, how is that possible? We, we should be interested to know how it is that God is saying to us that's actually possible. It's possible to live that way. So with that in mind, and with a desire, hopefully, to, to find out the answer to this question, we're going to read through uh, God's Word to us this morning. It'll also be up on the screen, uh, in case you don't have uh, a Bible in front of you. And so God's Word to us this morning is verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's God's word to us this morning. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, thank you indeed for your word. Thank you, God, that as we come to it, Lord, we can come with expectant hearts, uh, knowing, Lord, that it is um, through the Bible that you speak to us. And I pray, God, that we would hear from you this morning. Uh, help us, Lord, to have minds and hearts that are, that are open to receiving from you. And Lord, help me, as always, to, to speak words of truth that are helpful and that uh, line up with exactly what you want to say this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so... Uh, I think a little context is helpful, um, just to sort of explain what's going on here as Paul is writing. Um, th this really is the thank you part of his thank you letter. Uh, this is the occasion as to why he's writing. Uh, he's writing to a group of Christians in Philippi. That's why the book is called Philippians. And uh, he knows these people because he planted a church there. But since then, a whole bunch of stuff has happened in his life, and he finds himself in prison. Now, he's in the Roman prison system, and, and that means that uh, he doesn't have anyone to care for him. Uh, it's not like here where they provide uh, meals, you know, meals for you and clothing and all that sort of thing. Um, in the Roman prison system, you are dependent upon the people outside of the prison to bring stuff to you. And for Paul, that not many people knew he was there. Even though he had planted a lot of churches, by this point, he had been largely forgotten. And so the Philippian church knew about this, and they sent a man with a fantastic name. For those of you, I know there's a lot of pregnant uh, women uh, in our congregation. You may be thinking of this name. The name is Epaphroditus, which I think just rolls off the tongue. Um, so Epaphroditus had come to find him. He had to find him and brought uh, basically a care package. And this greatly encouraged Paul. I mean, if you ever received a care package, it's a blessing. If you're in, you know, at school or somewhere, home-baked cookies, um, and just the fact that they were thinking of him. So what he says at the beginning, that, that's what he's writing. He says, um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He, he's really thankful. It, it's a huge blessing. Now he'll have better food and maybe some warm clothing. And look what he says next. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And what he's saying there is basically, he's, I'm not upset. I know that you wanted to send uh, care earlier, but you just didn't have the opportunity. And that's because it's the ancient world, and it's not very easy to you know, send a parcel or anything like that. So they were waiting for Epaphroditus or whatever circumstances. And so Paul's saying, hey, I, I get it. I know you cared about me. You just, you just couldn't do it yet, and now you have, and I'm really thankful. But the next thing he says is a little strange because he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And if you know where he is, you would kind of say, uh, really, Paul? You're, you're in a Roman prison. 
chained to a Roman guard all hours of the day under house arrest. No one's bringing you food. You're not in need. Like, what does he mean here? Is he just being polite? You know, sometimes you give someone a gift and they're like, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't have. Really, you should. Do you have the receipt? You take it back. It's too much. And eventually you're like, oh, okay, you don't want the gift? Like, what's, what's the deal? Is, is he just being polite? And the answer is no. He's not being polite. Um, he's also uh, really, really thankful. He actually is in need and he really does appreciate their gift. But, but see, Paul, he is ever the pastor. And he sees here in this opportunity uh, a chance to, to teach them about contentment. He uses his own life, as he often does, and wants to teach them about what it means to really be in need. And the fact that even in this situation, he, he still can be content. And so what we have here are two, he sort of two key lessons about contentment as a believer. And that's going to make up the first two points of the sermon. And then we kind of have a bonus point at the end just to bring us up to our quota of three points for the sermon. <laughs> So, uh, the first point Paul makes uh, is this. The one I'm going to grab is, we're going to jump down to verse 12, and it's this, contentment is a secret to be learned. That's what we see in his very words. Uh, verse 12, he says, in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Uh, now, what you might not realize is that uh, contentment was actually something that many people of this day were, were searching for. It, there, was, there was a secret of contentment that the philosophers of the day, the Roman philosophers, that's what they wanted to find. Uh, they were called the Stoics. And they really believed that if you could get to a place of contentment, that was, that was what you wanted in life. Uh, one of the main philosophers, his name was Seneca, and he said, uh, the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. And they, they said that the way to do this, the way to be reconciled in your circumstances, no matter what's going on, is for, for you to have uh, a disconnect between yourself and the desires of the things around you, to really rise above your circumstances, uh, to be self-sufficient. That was a word they loved to use. Uh, this would have been kind of in the marketplaces and in the, the places where the thinkers went to share their thoughts. This would have been what people were talking about. How do I become self-sufficient? How do I disengage myself from all of the, the trappings of the world and to be kind of an island unto myself? Then I can find contentment. And it strikes me that this is, this is not unfamiliar in our day. I mean, in our day, we're told that if you want a happy life, what you really need to do is you need to be the hero of your life. You need to disengage from all of the expectations and, and sort of uh, desires of other people, and you need to just do what you think is best. If you could figure out the desire of your heart and not allow anyone to get in the way, then you would be happy. This idea of self-sufficiency still kind of rings true uh, for the, the worldview of our day. Of course, there are problems with self-sufficiency. Uh, there's ways in which it breaks down. For one thing, a lot of the people today that really talk a lot about, you know, going to the beat of your own drum and kind of doing things your own way, as they're blazing a trail, they do, they do tend to be Instagramming a lot about it. Have you noticed that? Just kind of making sure people know what they're up to as they're off on their own. There's kind of still some connection where we, we like the approval of others. Also, I mean, in the end, self-sufficiency, it, it, does, it does prove itself to be very limited, I mean, it's difficult if you're someone who believes in self-sufficiency. If you were to get to a point where you're on life support, it's, it's pretty clear. At the end of your day, your very physical life, it's, it's dependent upon something else. We cannot be sufficient unto ourselves. And this is what Paul says. Paul turns the idea of self-sufficiency on its head. See, he also is reconciled to his circumstances. He's saying, in all circumstances, I'm content. But rather than claiming independence... Paul says, I'm actually totally dependent. 
I'm totally dependent on Jesus, the one, he says by the end of our verse, who strengthens me. And so for Paul, it's, it's not inner strength, but a God-given strength to find contentment in all circumstances that is the secret. But there's another twist uh, to the language here that, as Paul explains it, see, the word secret, that word is actually borrowed from the pagan religions of the time. That word is not found anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, the people reading this would have said, oh, that sounds familiar, but not from anything that Jesus said or some of the regular you know, writings of the apostles. See, the, the word secret is connected to the religious ideologies of, of those who were to worship Dionysus or Mithra. Uh, these were sort of pagan cult religions. And in that way of seeing things, uh, they believed that there was a secret, a secret spiritual knowledge, but it could only be accessed as you went further and further into the circle of devotion. Kind of like uh, you're searching for nirvana, you know, for, for the Buddhists. If you can just progress to a point of, of spiritual consciousness, then you will have the secret of contentment. We see this in religions today as well. Uh, if you look up Scientology, for example, you will see that they promise total freedom. They have a document called the Bridge to Total Freedom. Really, they're saying that this is the way that you can be free in your life, content in your life. But there's a chart and there's about eight different stages, at least, that you have to go through. There's a lot of diagnostic tools and, and different things you have to progress through that if you can make it through all of those things, then perhaps you can gain this, this total freedom. Many religions, many worldviews say there is a secret to the content life, but it's only for the select few. It's only for those who really persevere, those who really apply themselves. Then you might get to a place where you are free from all of the worries of life. And Paul is saying... I also know the secret to a content life, but it's an open secret. See, the, the secret in terms of a Christian worldview is, is one that everyone can access. You don't have to strive for it because it's not, it's not a strategy, it's not a code, it's not a set of rigorous spiritual practices. The secret of Christian contentment comes in the form of a person, and his name is Jesus. He's the Son of God who came uh, into the world in, in a public display, heralded by angels to bring lasting hope and contentment to all who would believe. And he did that as a representative for all humankind. Like Adam back in the day, but this time, Jesus remained content with the commands of God. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins for our disobedience, for our lack of contentment. And in that act of substitution, we are offered a new identity, one that is rooted in a contentment that comes from knowing Christ rather than in ourselves. And see, this is the, the beautiful, the wonderful difference between Christianity and all of the other world religions. It's that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is an open secret, one that is available to all of us immediately when we simply recognize our need for help. We don't have to strive. We don't have to earn. We don't have to try to make ourselves better to the point that then we will, we will receive the secret from God, how to have a, a content and peaceful life. No, right now, as we come to faith, we learn that Jesus has already done all the work for us. And so the blessing of the, of the Christian faith is one that Paul can say there is contentment for everyone, regardless of background, regardless of your faith right now, you come to know Jesus and he does the work for you. And there is in that spiritual rebirth contentment, a lasting and genuine contentment. And so that's the truth. That's the secret. But you may be wondering, okay, Matt, how exactly does that, does that spiritual truth 
relate to an actual contentment in my life. Like when I'm um, struggling financially, when I'm, when I'm depressed, what, how do those things actually play themselves out practically? Well, a helpful way to think about it is that the gospel functions in our life kind of like an internal stabilizer to help us withstand the pressures of life that threaten to topple our contentment. And as a way to kind of help us visualize this, uh, I want you to think of, uh, of a building. Uh, there is a building in uh, Taiwan uh, called the Taipei 101. We have a picture of it. Uh, it's a striking building. It's a real building. That's not pretend. Uh, it looks like it's you know something out of the movies. It's a real building, and uh, it's called the Taipei 101 because it's in the in the city of Taipei, and it's 101 stories tall. It's a very tall building. Was at one point the tallest building in the world. Now the thing with tall buildings, as you can imagine, is that they have to make sure that they're structurally sound, and especially in a place like Taiwan where there are typhoons and earthquakes, the engineers had the, uh, the challenge of making sure that it was a bit flexible, but not too flexible, or it would you know, fall over, or people would get nauseous. So uh, what they came up with was uh, something that had been used before. It's called a tuned mass damper, and what it is is a very, very heavy weight that's at the center of the building near the top. Uh, they built it, it's, uh, you can see it there, it's, they painted it gold. And uh, it's actually, usually these things are at the center of the building, they're all concealed, but this one, they put it on display. It's near the observation deck. And what this giant weight does, it's 660 tons, is as force is applied to the sides of the building or the, the ground shifts, the tuned mass damper, it compensates. It shifts in the opposite direction, and so it keeps the building stable. And I know what you're thinking, Matt, this is probably one of your best illustrations, but... <laughs> What, what would make this better, what would really help me to understand the gospel is if I could see that giant ball move. And, uh, and we can do that through the miracle of modern technology. This is the attuned mass damper. Go ahead and hit it, uh, Josiah. Um, this is it moving uh, during an earthquake. So you can see it kind of just rolls and compensates for whatever forces and pressure is going against it. And it stabilizes the building. Okay, we've got to stop it or no one's going to listen to me anymore. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> So imagine that. That's, that's a function, of a miracle of engineering. That that building stays upright and stays stable because of this giant weight. Well, the gospel functions, should function like a weight at the center of our soul. So that when we feel uh, pressure, and here's the thing, we don't just get pressure from one side. If you look at the words of Paul, he says that he knows the secret of living in plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Those are two opposite pressures. And so how is it that both of these things can cause us to lose contentment, and then how is it that the gospel helps to stabilize ourselves? Well, well, think of this. Uh, how does being in need threaten our contentment? Well, obviously, if you are in a place where you are in, in great need financially, uh, circumstantially, you're very low in life, there will be great temptation towards being anxious, uh, to being frustrated. Uh, to, to feeling hopeless and powerless. There will be a temptation for us, there is for us, to feel forgotten by God. That, that we're on our knees daily, we can't make ends meet, we, whatever the situation is, and we're just saying, Lord, I, I just feel like no one is listening. Well, the gospel has answers to those feelings, has truth to bring to bear on the weight of our heart. The gospel says that, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you have been welcomed into the family of God. If you are a believer, you know God is now your father and that he has demonstrated his loving care. In fact, in the Bible, many times, the very words of God are there to help us to guard against anxiety. 
These, these words that we hear time and again are, are helpful from the very mouth of Jesus. In Matthew, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the gospel says very clearly, you are much more valuable. That God so loved you that he sent his only son to ensure that you would have life forever. That you would know that God cares for you and that he promises to be with you. So the generosity and grace of God in the cross, it brings stability to the sense of of forgottenness to the sense of hopelessness. And even in our most desperate times, we can know, no, God is for me. God is with me because I'm, I'm his child. And he's promised that he will never forsake me. And so the gospel brings stability when we feel this, this anxiety building up. Okay, but what happens when we are in abundance? Now you might say, Matt, if I'm in abundance, then I'm content. So everything's fine. I don't, I don't need any help. But I, I think we know that's not true. Uh, If that were true, then the richest people in the world, they would be the happiest people in the world, and that's just not the case. When you are in abundance, when you've been blessed by material wealth or in some way you're just in abundance, there are other temptations that creep in to topple our genuine sense of contentment because all of a sudden you are very, very tempted to find your security and your fulfillment in things that won't last. And you're very tempted to be arrogant, to be prideful, to be full of yourself because you look around and you think, I've got everything I need. That no matter what happens, I, I can deal with it. I have the bank account for it. I have the power for it, whatever it may be. And so as the winds of affluence threaten to puff you up, the gospel brings stability. It counterbalances it because the gospel brings the truth about who you are and about who God is. The gospel says you are a sinner saved by grace. And everything you have from your material wealth to your spiritual health is there by the grace of God. And we see this also in the words of the Bible. Here's Paul writing to a group of Christians. In 1 Corinthians, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so when you are tempted to feel like, man, I, I got it. All this is here because of me. The gospel says you need to think again. You need to be reminded that but for the grace of God, do you have all of this blessing in your life. And so what the gospel does is it compensates for all these pressures in our life. And that when we know it in our heart, it, it, it raises us up when we feel low and it brings us down graciously when we get too puffed up. And this is what Paul means in verse 13 when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That the through him means through Jesus. That I'm able to be content because I am in Christ. Sometimes the translation for that verse is, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It's because of our relationship through the gospel that we can have this contentment. It it brings into our lives all the truths, all the realities of knowing Christ and being a child of God. So regardless of our circumstance, We can have contentment. We have reason for hope and reason for joy. But but what we also see in Paul is that though these truths are immediate and real, uh, contentment is also a lesson to be practiced. It's not enough simply to know the theory. 
We have to actually live it out. Uh, we see this in verse 11. Uh, Paul says, For I have learned, in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and how to abound. Uh, and we know this in the life of Paul. He was brought very low at times and brought very, very high. And what he's saying is that it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live it out. That's always the way with growth. There, there's testing. There's practice. In that, you, you grow in whatever discipline you, you're interested in. For example, uh, this week, uh, we had the Royal Conservatory music exams here in the building. Uh, we rented out the building. Uh, most of these chairs were gone. There's a big grand piano right here in the middle of the building. And that meant that I had uh, the privilege of seeing many very nervous piano students come into our lobby. They're always kind of fidgety because they've been, they've been practicing a lot. They, they know some stuff. They know how to play the piano. But now there's the opportunity to have it tested. And so they're kind of nervous and fidgeting. I saw one mom, as soon as uh, her daughter went in, she just sat on the couch in the lobby. She just prayed the whole time. Lord, I pray for my daughter. Pray she does well. And I heard some great, you know, exams. And I heard some not so great exams, unfortunately, in the office. You're like, "Mm, I'm not a piano player. I don't think that was the right note. Um, So what's going on there? Well, it's it's a time of growth that, that... in the testing, sometimes you do well, and, and fantastic, you've demonstrated your knowledge. Sometimes you don't do so well, but even in that, you learn and you grow, and it's the same thing for us spiritually. That, that's how we grow. Paul is saying in his life, he said, I've had times where I've been brought very low. I know how that's done. I know how to remain content when things are very, very difficult. If you know the life of Paul, you know that he went through many trials for the sake of the gospel. He knows what it's like to not have money, to not have comforts, and yet he's saying, in that moment, I, w- I learned what it meant to be content. He's saying to be tested is a good thing. Even to learn with, with how to have a lot and to still be content in Christ. That takes, that takes practice. That takes learning. It's easier said than done. Uh, even in, in the word of God, we find examples of godly men and godly women who struggled with this. I think we all do. Uh, take, for example, the life of King David. Uh, king David, uh, from the Old Testament, he was a king after God's own heart. He, he was the one that God chose. And there were times of great exaltation in his life, but there were also times where he was brought very, very low. Uh, one of those times was when he was on the run from Saul. Uh, he was anointed king, but he wasn't yet on the throne. Saul was on the throne, and Saul was very, very jealous. In fact, Saul wanted to kill David, and so David had to go on the run. He was kind of scurrying throughout the caves at Israel, uh, trying to stay away from Saul and his army. David had a band of merry men with him, but, but David was, it was tough for him. He, he, he had no security. He had no wealth. Uh, he had no place to lay his head even each day. He had to keep always moving to be on the run. And in that, he got to a place of great despair. Even though he had the promise of God that he would one day be king, it wasn't enough for him. And look at his words here in 1 Samuel. Look what he says. It says, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. And the reason I, I highlighted that there is nothing better for me is, is, think about that for a moment. This was a man who had been anointed by God. He had been given victory after victory uh, in terms of military battles. He, as a young man, had conquered the Philistine giant Goliath with the help of God. He had many, many reasons to have confidence that God would carry him through. And yet at that moment, he feels in his heart like there is nothing better for me. That there is no hope for me except that I would go 
and, and really sin against God by trusting in God's enemies, the Philistines. See, David, in a moment of despair, he takes matters into his own hand. He says, I'll figure this out. That, that I'm not content, I'm not satisfied with this, and so I will figure things out in my way. And I think that's, that's something we all know. There are ways in which I think that we come to a point of discontentment, and rather than trusting in God, we say, well, I'm going to figure this out on my own. And it leads us to dark places. It leads us to places where we put trust in things that, that we shouldn't. I remember one time speaking with a young couple, um, and they... Uh, they were newly married. They wanted to talk with me. And uh, things were good in their life. They both had jobs. They both um, were healthy. Um, but the husband, uh, as it turns out, they came in and talked to me. He had been, he'd been basically drinking himself to sleep every night. Um, he, he would get a, a bottle of vodka. His wife would go to bed early. And he would just sit. He wasn't out partying and going crazy. He would just, he would just drink basically a bottle of vodka every night. And I, I said to him, why, why did you do this? And he said, well, I, I know it's stupid. He said, it just, it, it felt good. It kind of settled me at the end of the night. And, and I would drink and I would go put it away and I would go to bed. And, but see, he was, I mean, he wasn't telling his wife about it. He was spending more money than he should. He was really getting drunk every night, which, which God said is, is not good for him. He betrayed the trust of his wife. He, he wasn't content at the end of the day. But instead of, you know, coming to Jesus, he knew Jesus, he was a Christian. Instead of finding contentment and, and pursuing the Lord in prayer or whatever he might do, he said, I'm, I'm going to take care of it myself. I know a way to find immediate contentment, something that will just settle me each night. And in a sense, no one will be hurt, but, but of course people were hurt. His wife was hurt. And as it found out, his liver, his liver was hurt. It wasn't good for, for them financially or, or from a health point of view. But the good thing in this is that um, he wasn't at peace about it. I mean, his wife didn't find out. She, she didn't know, but, but he felt the weight of conviction on his heart. And he confessed to his wife. And they came and talked to me, and there was healing that took place. And see, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel, is that there is always forgiveness and grace. That even in this, in this testing for him, he failed. But still, there was an opportunity to grow in Christ. Because as he came, as we talked, as they worked on things, he then grew in his capacity to find contentment in Jesus. That he recognized that, that in doing that and taking things into my own hands, it's not going to go well. And so what we find, that the common reality, that God, uh, God's presence in our life, his common interest is growth. Is growth in our successes and growth in our failures. And the secret of contentment for our life is really that we experience the presence of God that we find, we find comfort in the gospel. And this takes practice. This takes times of failure, and that's okay, because God says, I forgive you. Come back to me. I, I want to help you grow. I want to help you find healing. And in that, throughout our life, as Paul is saying, we, we learn what it means to be content in Christ. We know the secret, and then we, we put it into practice in our daily lives. Now, how this happens is also an amazing grace of God. And for this, we have to go to our last verse. This verse, Philippians 4.13, if you know Christian culture, this is a verse that we find all sorts of places. We find on mugs, we find on ties, we find on bumper stickers, because it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And most recently, I found this verse on the box of the Steph Curry 4s, the new basketball shoes one of my sons got for Christmas. His tagline is, I can do all things. 
I don't know if that means Steph Curry says he can do all things on the basketball court by the strength of Christ, but at the very least, he's trying to get the Bible out there. The problem, the problem is that people take this as a blank check, right? They think God's promised me what, what I can do all things and I believe in Jesus. So whatever it is, I'm going to go for it. And I'm just going to trust that God wants it for me. But that's, that's not what this verse is saying. This verse, we should read like every other verse in the Bible in its context, and so what we have to ask, as we come here, we know who it is that strengthens us. We've, we've seen that. It's Jesus. But what are the all things? Are there some things that Paul has been talking about that he wants to do? And the answer is yes. He, he wants to be content in all circumstances. In, in all situations in his life, he very much wants to be content. And he's saying that in all of those situations, in all of those things, I can trust that there will be strength from God. And so what we have here is the beautiful dynamic of our sanctification, where God says to us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. And so we are to actually strive towards contentment. Paul is saying, you have to learn this. You have to work at it. But the encouragement is that you won't be alone, that God is with you, that God is helping us to grow in our very best ways. And so what we have from Paul is, is the encouragement is the exhortation that there is contentment to be had in the gospel and that as we strive for it, he will, he will help us. It will not always be easy. It definitely wasn't easy for Paul. But the blessing of the gospel is such that we can actually have help in our time of greatest need and also in our time of, of temptation towards the greatest pride. Now, these two truths should help us. They're designed for us to, to better understand the gospel. But there's one other. I said there was a bonus. And here it is before we close. The bonus is this, that there are actually times where we should be discontent. And what I mean by that is when it comes to our spiritual life, um, Paul does not advocate a constant satisfaction. The challenge for us as human beings is that we oftentimes put a lot of effort into our material contentment and then we're satisfied just with how we are spiritually. That, that we don't put a lot of energy or effort into, into our spiritual health, but we're very concerned about all the other areas of our life that they are healthy. I remember meeting with one guy. I would meet with him fairly often, and he was a guy who um, was very wealthy, had a good job, made a lot of money. A lot of areas of, of his life, he was doing very well, but there were some areas personally, some areas uh, in his family, and certainly spiritually where he always struggled. And I said to him one time, I said, look, you look really fit. I mean, you must go to the gym. What kind of effort does that take? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, what I do is I book a personal trainer. And then he said, um, I have to pay them. And, and even if I don't show up, I still have to pay him. So I always go because I don't want to you know, pay him for doing nothing. And I said, oh, that's, I, that's great. I got an idea. You can pay me to be <laughs> your spiritual personal trainer. Whatever it is, 50 bucks, something. And even if you don't show up, you, you still have to pay me. And that way you'll come and you'll read your Bible. And he laughed. That's a crazy idea. And I was, said, yeah, well, kind of. But why is it crazy? I mean, it didn't happen, and I'm not advocating that. I don't have cards or anything like that. But the point is that that does sort of sound crazy. If you heard someone doing that, you'd be like, that's a bit strange. And yet we put that kind of energy and effort and money into all sorts of areas of our life. And yet we don't find that with Paul. I mean, think of Paul. If anyone knew Jesus, it was Paul. I mean, Paul had met Jesus. Paul had, he had had visions from Jesus. He says in the Bible that he was caught up to the third heaven. I don't know what that means, but it means that he heard, actually, I think angels speak. He knew Jesus, and yet he is never satisfied with the extent to which he knows Christ. Look again. We, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Look what Paul says. 
He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is never satisfied. He always wants more of Jesus. He looks ahead in his life and he says, I am going to pursue him more and more and more till heaven where I will know him completely. And that is my goal. And so in that, I can have contentment with all the other areas of my life. That's the blessing of Christ. But it's partly because I continue to pursue him. And so implicit within this text is, is Paul's whole way of life, which is that we, we shouldn't be satisfied with some meager sense of spiritual health. Instead, we should, we should strive to know him more. And in that, we will be very satisfied with the, the life that we have. And so, and so as we close... A couple of questions that just naturally, I think, spring to mind. And they are simply this. Are you content? Are, are you satisfied? And just think of the way you live your life with the extent to which you know Jesus, with your spiritual health. Or is there a, is there a desire within you to, to, to know him more, to, to be in the word more, to find ways that you can grow closer to Jesus? How might you kindle that flame? How might you day in, day out say, no, I, I really do want to know you more, Jesus. Help me to actually put that into practice. I see here that it's going to take practice. That's okay. Help me to do that. And secondly, are there areas of life where, where you really struggle with contentment? And maybe, maybe rightly so. If, anyone, if you were to just explain the circumstances of your life, we would all say, man, that, that is tough. That, that's a real challenge. But how is it that God is, is helping you to, to bring stability? How is God, through the gospel, helping you to, to counterbalance that, that temptation towards despair, or that temptation towards pride, and in his grace reminding you that you do actually have everything you need in Christ? And how might you come to really grasp that, to have it weigh heavy in a good way, in a sweet way in your heart? I believe here in the text, Paul wants for the Philippians and he wants for us to see in him what this looks like so that we might go from here and say, Lord, I, Lord help me to do that. So I want more from you. I believe you have more for me in this life and that you want to bring stability. You want to bring a sweetness into my life in all circumstances. So with that in mind, I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to respond. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that in it we find uh, real practical help Lord, we, we find the answers to the, to the big questions of our life, but also, Lord, here in this text, we find some of the answers to the, to the daily struggles, Lord, uh, the, the temptations towards feeling very low and forgotten, and also, Lord, the, the struggle with thinking too much of ourselves. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, for those of us who know Christ, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the peace of the gospel, the contentment of the gospel in our daily life. And I pray, Lord, uh, if there are those here, Lord, who don't really know you, I pray, God, that that this idea that we might genuinely have contentment in all circumstances, Lord, that it might uh, pique their interest. I pray, God, that there would be a stirring in their heart uh, to come and know more of what it means to truly have faith in Christ and how the, how the cross actually brings an answer to these big questions. Thank you, Lord, for, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that in all circumstances we can come to you and know that you are there for us, having already done the work necessary to bring us peace with God and contentment in life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.